Well, good morning. It's great to see all of you here today. Thank you for coming. Just want to let you know that at the end of my message, we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper together. And uh, if I repeat myself a little later, forgive me, but you don't have to be a member of Silver Creek Church to participate in the Lord's Supper. Um, And so we just want to um, let you know that we're going to be serving communion a little later. We're starting a new series today, and our series is called Anxious for Nothing. We're going to read those words from Philippians chapter 4 in just a moment. But I need to set the stage for our series, and forgive me because this is a downer as I do this. But it, it, it does remind us of what's happening in our world. Just... Uh, a little more than a week, week and a half ago, in Uvalde, Texas, a young man got through a door in a school that was propped open and proceeded to get into a fourth grade classroom and took the lives of 19 students and two teachers. Something like that just, it, it, it just sucks up the national consciousness. We're just, we look at that and, and we focus on it and we see something like that. So much so that it's easy to forget that 10 days earlier, 10 days earlier in Buffalo, someone walked into a Topps grocery store and killed 10 people. We look at the news, we watch the news, and we see what's happening in Russia's invasion of Ukraine that's been going on since the end of February. And the best numbers that I could find, it's hard to say, but somewhere around 4,000 civilians, uh, Ukrainian civilians have been killed in that, in that war thus far. We can look back <clears throat> the summer of 2020, the racial unrest that we experienced in our country. We see that there's a a very contentious political environment in our country. In fact, it's, it's almost like you can't talk to anybody anymore. You can't, you can't disagree because there's no way to, to share things back and forth. There's, there's no one that's in the middle. There's no one that's, that's willing to have that conversation. All of this on top of a global pandemic that we are told a million people have died around the world as a result. WebMD, there's an article by Carolyn Christ, and she says that 87% of Americans feel overwhelmed and fatigued. It feels like a constant stream of crises without a break over the last two years. Here in our own community, and, and I mean our community. I, I don't mean uh, Munising. I don't mean Barriga. I don't mean Houghton. I mean in our community over the course of this past winter, we had four teenagers take their life. I have a relationship uh, with one of the funeral home directors in our community And he shared with me this week that over the last 30 years in this community, 
as he does a little bit of rough math in his head, he said suicide has gone up by about 500% in those 30 years. We read the obituary and we now often read that someone who has died lost their battle with mental illness. That's become code. That's become a way of saying something without saying it. Which brings us to Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 4. It's a stark contrast between what I just said and what I'm going to read now that the Apostle Paul said. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. That is not a word that comes from this northern Scandinavian culture in which we live. Okay? We're, we're known here in the north as the Lord's frozen chosen sometimes. And it's not just because of the cold winter temperature. Sometimes it's because of our persona as people that live in the north. Paul says rejoice. That word rejoice in the Greek, it means to literally be so excited that you spin. That you, that, that's a lot of excitement. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. He reiterates it. Rejoice. Let your goodness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Here's the phrase. Do not, uh, do not be anxious about anything but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, you may say to yourself, after the list of things that I just read a moment ago, and then I read what Paul says, you might say that Paul has an unrealistic expectation. This is not real life that he could be possibly talking about in our world here today. I think it's interesting that often the world looks at the church as believing that it's a group of people who have it all together. Anybody here have it all together? Anybody? Nobody? I'm not seeing any hands. Preachers love to see hands. I'm not seeing any hands. I don't have it all together. I don't know of anybody that's claiming to have it all together in, within the context of the church. And, and, and yet the world looks at us and, and feels that that's what we ultimately portray, that it's a bunch of people that have it all together. Let's realize that, that what Paul said, he, he wrote to us, there has to be some way for us to tap into that. And, and I want you to be, I'm going to be honest, the Bible has a lot of dark thoughts in it. A lot of dark thoughts. What about Job? Job talked about longing for death that never comes. Solomon, King Solomon, in all of his wealth, in all of his splendor, in all of his glory, he said everything is meaningless. Those are the words of a seriously spent and depressed man. Naomi, the mother-in-law of Ruth, she said, God has made my life bitter Maybe some of us can identify with those words. Jeremiah the prophet, he said, why was I born? He went as far as to say, I curse the day that I was born. Again, dark words. 
The apostle Paul suffered to the point where he despaired of life itself. These don't sound like the kind of people that the world thinks the church is projecting themselves to be. Here in the U.S., there are 40 million people that suffer with anxiety. That's 18% of our population. And that reminds me of another person in the Bible in the Old Testament. He's a man named Elijah. Elijah served as a prophet in the nation of Israel. And he was someone that would declare the word of the Lord to the people. And he served under a particular king named Ahab and his wife, the queen, Jezebel. And Ahab was someone who was guilty of leading the people of Israel away from God to worship the God of the Baals, who were the Canaanite gods, who were worshipped in the place where the, the Hebrew people came and settled. And that was something that Ahab did. Now, Elijah was a prophet, and he spoke, and it would come to pass. He said, you know what, king? It's not going to rain for a long time. And the Bible says that it did not rain for three years. How'd you like to be somebody that could control the weather? Here in the UP, we would just like someone who could accurately predict it. Think about it. I mean, yesterday it rained and the sun shined and rained and the sun shined. It, it did it all day long. He could control the weather. He could even control the provision that people had. He came on a, on a woman who was a widow and he, said, he asked her, he said, would you make me a meal? Would you make me, you know, some bread, some cake, you know, make me something to eat? And she said to the prophet, she said, I'm literally going to make the final meal for my son and I, and then we're going to starve to death because I have just a little bit of, 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 of flour. I have a little bit of oil. That's all I have. I'm going to make it and we're going to starve to death. And he said, go ahead and make me one. And then he said, it's not going to be gone. And in fact, he said, all your flour and your, and your oil, which is just a tiny little bit, it's going to last you all the way till the end of the famine, the end of the drought, which was Elijah's fault because he's the one that prayed for it. So she made the prophet his cake, his bread, and fed it to him. She goes back to the barrel, and there's still a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. And she makes it for she and her son. She goes back the next day. There's a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil, and it continues to last all the way till the end of the famine. This guy, this guy was a man of God that was so powerful that he raised the dead back to life. And he was someone that was a big thorn in the flesh to this king Ahab and his wife Jezebel. He prayed and literally fire came down from heaven. And Jezebel, the king's wife, she sought to destroy, to kill all the prophets of God in the country of Israel, the nation of Israel. And the one that they couldn't get their hands on was Elijah. They couldn't get their hands on him. They could not kill him. And, and it literally, it was something that really ticked off the king's wife. And Elijah became public enemy number one, and he made a challenge, a public challenge to the king. 
And he said, King, let's get all the people of Israel together. Let's invite everybody, the whole nation. I don't know how you do this, but they did it. Let's invite the whole nation to come and let's have us a little contest. Let's find out whose God really is God. We'll find out if Baal is God or we'll find out if God is really God and then whoever's God really is God, that's the person we'll worship. That's the God we'll worship. And so they set up sacrifices they set up stone altars and they put, they put meat on them. That was what the sacrifices were made of, was animal meat. And they said, you guys pray, and if your God answers by fire, we'll know that Baal is really God. But if he doesn't answer with fire and Jehovah God answers with fire, we'll know that he's really God. And the Bible says that the 850 prophets of Baal and the Asherah, they prayed and nothing happened. In fact, Elijah, he, he had a sense of, a very dark sense of humor. He said, maybe your God is sleeping. Maybe your God is on vacation and he can't hear you. And after they were done, Elijah said, I want you to take water and I want you to pour it all over the altar and the meat. In fact, I want you to dig a trench around it and pour so much water on it that the trench fills up with water. And the Bible says that Elijah prayed and he said, God, I know you hear me. And God answered with fire that day. Fire fell from heaven and consumed the sacrifice and the water. Elijah recognized this moment and he realized the hearts of the people were ready to follow God. And he said, okay, people, these 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah, kill them. And that day, 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah were killed and the people began to turn toward God. And and. It, Elijah was so ecstatic, he said, it's, it's time for the rain to start. And he goes and he prays, God, send the rain. And he tells his servant, go look, tell me if you see any clouds. He said, I don't see any clouds. He goes back and prays, God, send the rain. He says to his servant, go tell me if you see any clouds. And he does this time and time again and nothing. And finally the servant says, I see a cloud about the size of a, hand, a man's hand. And he said, get ready, boys, because it's going to rain. Tell the king, he better get home because it's going to rain. And he, I don't know if you know this, but Elijah ran a half marathon that day. It says it right in the scripture. He ran 15 miles, a little farther than a half marathon. He runs, and he runs so fast, he's so excited, he runs faster than the king's chariot. This is the, the, the highest point in his ministry, in his career. God is doing great things. But now I want to take you to 1 Kings 19, which is right at the point we're at, and I want you to look at what he says, what happens, and what he does. 1 Kings 19, verse 3, Elijah was afraid. After all those things I just said about what was happening in his life, at that moment, he's afraid <clears throat> and ran for his life. Now he came to Beersheba in Judah. He left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. Look at what he says here. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Think about this. 
This man is at the top of, of, of what, just he had everything going the right way. And he says, I've had enough. I'm ready to die. God, take my life. I want you to know something that this powerful prophet of God made the same mistakes. In fact, you and I make these same mistakes. And I want us to look at it for a moment because I want us to learn about how to deal with real life. And the first thing that Elijah did, that you and I did, the first mistake is this, we run ourselves into the ground. Can I tell you that this message today, I am preaching to myself, lest anyone else thinks that I am only talking to you. And I had people after the first service, they said, "It's, it's like you were speaking directly to me. I got a message from uh, one of our church family who lives in Cedarville, Michigan, and she said, oh man, she said that message was just for me. Well, I got news for you. It's for me first. Today, I'm preaching to Kevin Taylor as much as I am anyone else. We had a graduate on Friday and a party on Saturday, and that should be all I have to say right there, okay? You want to talk about stress and anxiety. And downstairs in our home, Pastor Ben and his beautiful wife, Amy, on Tuesday, they're having a baby. So we're trying to cram everything into a tight window as we possibly can in our lives. So things have been a little stressful. We run ourselves into the ground. Let me ask you this question. What does your to-do list look like? What does it look like? I had a to-do list this week. Man, I'm, and I, I normally don't write them down because I, I usually, I get in trouble. Because I, what happens is I'll write a to-do list for myself and then I'll write a to-do list for other people and that's what gets me in a lot of trouble, okay? It's a Saturday morning and people are waking up and there's a list waiting for them. People get grumpy when that happens, but I had my to-do list, man, and that, I mean it was long, but I'm, I'm whipping through it, whipping through it, and, I, you know, and, and it's, it's fun. I'll, I didn't say this in the first service, but two weeks ago in softball, I tripped and I landed on my shoulder when I was going by first base, trying to beat out a ground ball that I hit to an infielder. I'm thinking, I can, I can get to first, and I tripped, landed on my shoulder. I was out, by the way, in case you're wondering. And so for the last almost two weeks, I can hardly get my, for, for much of it, I couldn't get my arm any higher than this. I mean, it has been painful for, and I can't get done what I want to get done. So my list had to get adjusted. You want to talk about stress to acknowledge that I can't get done everything that I previously had planned on getting done before such a big event. The, my, my wife is like, Kevin, you, you have got to chill out. You have got to. And then there were times where I had to go to my wife and say, honey, you've, you, you've got to chill out here. Remember, I'm down an arm. You know, we were back and forth all week. But the first thing is we run ourselves into the ground. How many unfinished projects do you have at home? How often does your spouse remind you of those unfinished projects? I made a mistake about a week ago. I reminded my wife of an unfinished project that was hers. Shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Wasn't good. How does the checkbook look? Sometimes we avoid looking at it because we don't want to know. 
How many hours of overtime have you worked lately? And all the teachers now say amen because summer vacation is like within a few days away. That's why Nikki was so excited today in worship. Summer vacation's almost here. How's the marriage? How are the kids? How are the family? Stressed out? Anxious? Afraid? How many times have you said, just like Elijah, I've had enough. I'm to the end of my rope. I, and this is not like in a, I'm going to just, I'm just, Lord, I'm just going to release control. No, we're just, we're, we're not even saying that. We're just saying I'm done. I, I, I am, stick a fork in me. I am done. Well, that's what Elijah did. At the moment he was experiencing the greatest victory, he should have been on top of the world. Something happened. Something happened. That queen that I mentioned, Jezebel, she threatened to kill him. She said, by tomorrow, I'm going to have your life. And he ran for his life. He was afraid. He had just finished his, his victory half marathon. He was, I mean, it was the top of the world. And then what does he do? He takes off on a hundred mile ultra marathon is what the Bible says, 100 miles. He and his servant, they take off and they run 100 miles. That takes a lot. Psalm chapter 88, verse 3, the psalmist says, I am overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. That word overwhelmed, it, 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 if you look in, in the Hebrew, okay, the Hebrew, it, it says that it's, it means full to capacity like you feel after three consecutive graduation parties in a row. Because you get there and you say, oh, I'll just have a little. And you eat basically a full meal. You go to the next place and the, the host is like, oh, come on in and have a meal. And, and you feel obligated and you have more. You get to the third one and they're like rolling you in. And you feel like I, you're obligated. It literally, the, the word overwhelmed, it refers, the picture is of a stomach that is so full that it's about to burst. But it's full of trouble. That's what overwhelmed is. We're so full with trouble that we're about to burst. We can't handle anymore. We're stuffed to the brim. So what do we do at that point in our lives? Well, what we should do and what we do are two different things. What we should be doing is we should be resting. Jesus said, come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We should be resting. And another thing that we should be doing that we don't do, which leads us to our second mistake, we should be relying on other people, but instead we push people away. You see what I'm saying? We've been raised to not talk about things like anxiety and trouble, problems. We're forced to deal with it on our own. In fact, the, the worse the anxiety gets, the more we tend to push people away. Maybe, maybe, I'm, maybe, this is just, maybe this is just Kevin and this is not everybody else. You know, you guys can let me know if, I'm, if it's all me. Just say, Pastor, I'll pray for you because obviously this is all you. This is not us, okay? We, we literally, we, we push people away. A study from the Survey Center of American Life, it says that 
of Americans have fewer than three close friends. 12% say they have no friends. In other words, you can have 600 friends on Facebook and no actual friends in your life. Loneliness increases the risk of death by 26%. Elijah runs this ultra marathon of 100 miles with his servant, his closest companion, the best friend that he had, the person he spent all the time with. They get to Beersheba and he says, I want you to wait here. And he said, I'm going to go another day's journey. And a day's journey in the Old Testament would have been 20 to 30 miles. He wanted to do everything he could to get as far away from everyone as possible. He wanted to be alone, which was exactly the wrong thing to do. When we've run ourselves into the ground, the last thing that we need to do is be away from everybody else in our life, but it is exactly what we want to do. You know, when we go through some of these things, when we go through anxiety, we're afraid to tell people because we don't want to be judged. Back in the 70s and 80s, Man, church life was great back then. You admit you had anxiety, and they would tell you, you just don't have enough faith. In fact, oh my goodness, I mean, uh, I mean, you know, medication for anxiety. Well, man, now you're, you got nothing, man. I, and I'm just being honest about what the church was like, at least in my, in my world as I grew up. And I would say that there are many others that experience the same thing. Proverbs 17, verse 17, it says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Do you know that there's someone in this world that is made specifically to walk with you and to help shoulder your trouble? And, and you're, you're made to walk with someone else. And, it, and, and I'm not talking about finding that soulmate of a spouse. I'm, I'm not even talking that it's your spouse, okay? I'm talking about a friend. But when we are in the midst of anxiety, we tend to push people away. Ecclesiastes 4.10 says that, that literally uh, we, we pity the one who falls but has no one to help them up. When we have someone else in our life that walks through adversity with us, they help carry the load. When we fall, they can help us get up. But when we're alone and we fall down, we've got nothing and no one. This week a friend said, it's, it's got to be okay for us to talk about these things. Here's our third mistake. We focus on the negative. You ever wonder why we focus on the negative so much? It's actually, Vince, uh, well, you can collaborate this, corroborate this rather. We have what's called a negative bias that our brain naturally scouts out and fixates on the negative. And I'll illustrate it if you don't believe me. Let's say... You're one of these students that are in school right now, and you get your report card, and you've got six A's and one B. What do you look at? What do you think about? Do you, do you, do you, oh, six A's. It's so awesome. It's wonderful. What do you, no. What do, you, what do you go to bed at night, and you're mad about? The B. Okay? That's, when, when you, you get a review at work, okay? And, and there's five areas and four areas they say you exceed all expectation. But then there's one that says 
you know what, you might need a little bit of, you know, a little bit of work in this area. When you go to bed at night, are you thinking about the, the, the really good areas or are you thinking about the bad area? We always focus on the negative. And that's exactly what Elijah did. We see the flaw. We see the blemish. We see the typo of a beautiful page that's written. What do we, what do we focus on? Oh, there's a mistake. There's a mistake. That's, that's one reason why we'll never go back to bulletins ever again. <laughs> okay? Because my administrative assistant is tired of people coming up to her on Sunday. Beautiful bulletin. There's a typo right there. It's just, it's the way we're wired. It's the way we're wired. Look at 1 Kings again, 19, chapter 19, verse 4. I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Remember, he prayed that it wouldn't rain, and it, and it did not rain for three years. He prayed, and God publicly answered him with fire. Israel is turning back to God. He prays again that it would rain, and it rained. But what did Elijah focus on? Queen Jezebel threatened my life. And that caused him to become afraid. That caused him to be anxious. Max Lucado, the Christian author, says this. Two types of, uh, two types of voices command our attention. Negative ones fill your mind with doubt, bitterness, and fear. Positive ones purvey hope and strength. Which one will you choose to heed? The problem is the one that we're the most conditioned to listen to is the negative one. I love Paul's words in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 in the New King James. It said, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. In Colossians 3, verse 2, he says, set your mind on things above. Folks, we need to focus on things that are above Paul says, I want you to think about things that are noble. I want you to think about the, the things that are of God. I want you to, and he lists a whole list of those things. Think on these things, the things that are pure and holy and noble, the things that are good. Think on those things. Why does he tell us that? Because we're prone to the exact opposite. And then number four, we forget about God. Your family blows up, your health takes a dive, your finances give out, your job is outsourced, you're feeling like it's all up to you, you're all alone. And you know what we forget is that God has never left us, that God is aware of every detail. We forget that it's God who provides. Philippians 4.19, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. We forget that God's power is a source of miracles in our life. Matthew 19.26, Jesus asked or looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. We forget that God protects us every step of the way. Hebrews 13, 6, so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? I'm going to ask the worship team if they would come and join me here on the platform. And we're going to have some folks come and they're going to serve us communion. And so as they do, they're just going to begin to pass that down the row. 
And I'd invite us to all stand together. And the worship team is going to lead us for just a couple minutes here as we get our elements. And I'm just going to invite that we would hold on to our elements until all have received and we'll partake of the Lord's Supper together. And so let's just worship the Lord for a moment. Worship team, would you lead us? Father, we thank you for the opportunity to celebrate the Lord's Supper. I just want to invite you to take that little piece of bread. Father, as we hold it in our hands, we're reminded that in no greater way could you have revealed your love for us than by sending your son Jesus to this world to become a sacrifice for us. His body was tortured. He was beaten. He was bruised. He was bloodied. God, all on our behalf. And Father, I I pray today, God, that in the midst of, of our anxiety, in the midst of sometimes feeling like I've had enough, I can't go one step further. I pray, God, that we will no longer shut you out of the equation, but instead, in the midst of our trouble, we literally were overwhelmed, and that in, in that overwhelm, that we would come to you. God, I'm so glad that in that text about Elijah, that you include the fact that he needed rest. God, that he needed to hear the the voice of God, the whisper of God. He needed to be in your presence. Thank you that we we can be in your presence, that we can be revived, that we can be renewed. And so, Father, your word says that on the night when Jesus was betrayed, that he took the bread and the When he gave thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Father, we say thank you that you showed us that you love us in the greatest way possible by sending your son. So let's partake of the bread together. After supper, the Bible says that he took the cup And he said, this cup is my blood. It's a new covenant, a blood covenant, a deal that was struck in order to provide the forgiveness of sin. And I'm reminded that in no greater way could Jesus show his love for mankind than to shed the very substance that gave him life while on the earth, his blood. So Jesus, we come to you today and we say thank you. Thank you for shedding your blood, for being willing to go to the cross that we might find forgiveness in you. Father, we thank you in your name. Would you partake of the cup together? Psalm 61 and verse two. The psalmist said, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. You know, Elijah was afraid. The the queen threatened him and it sent him into a tailspin. He was afraid, evidently, of dying. And you know what? When we read the end of Elijah's life, 
Do you know about the end of it? Have you heard about the end of his life? He didn't die. The scripture says that God sent a chariot that was on fire to pick him up, and he did not die. Do you know sometimes we're worried about things that aren't even going to happen? God's got a plan. God has got a plan. Father, I pray today that as we go from this place, that we will not go stressed out and anxious and afraid, but that we will say, God has got a plan, and he is my loving Heavenly Father. And he is calling me to go out into a lost world and to live and be a light for Jesus in the world today. Father, we thank you. We thank you that even when we want to say enough is enough, that we remember Jesus said, my grace is enough for you. That the storms of life will come, but they will not sink us. That the trouble will come, but it will not overwhelm us. And the enemy may come against us, but he will not defeat us. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you.